1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment, let us know what you think about the episode. If there's a particular question or guest or topic that you'd like to have on the podcast, um, let us know. We're always checking comments on there and love to be able to hear from you guys and then be able to get those questions or the guest or the topic onto a future episode. Today, I'm going to be joined by John Cope of CRT Transmissions, and he's got some really good information for us as it pertains to val bodies, how they can make or break a truck, a build, um, race truck, daily driver, uh, tow setup. So I'm really looking forward to be able to chat with him about some really unique things that he's doing with valve bodies. So it's going to be a great, a great chat. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you, our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a 20% off discount code for you. Just use code 23diesel20 at Kershaw kaiusa.com. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. If you need something for hunting, fishing, EDC, um, something to have in a toolbox, glove box, they've definitely got you covered. They've got a ton of new releases in 2023, and one of their newest releases um, are the Duralock models, which are really cool. They, The way that the blade opens and closes is super smooth, keeps your fingers away from the blade blades made out of D2 steel, and they have different choices for blade shape. Um, different handle shapes and designs. So if you're in the market, definitely make sure head on over, check them out, see what they got and use that discount code for 20% off site-wide. All right, let's get to today's podcast with John chatting with him about valve bodies, manual valve bodies, applications for racing, daily driving, towing, and some really cool things that he's working on. John, welcome to the diesel podcast. Look forward to chatting with you today about transmissions, which our listeners know that's one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to (laughs) trucks. So it'll be really cool to learn more about, uh, your transmission business and then some really cool things you have going on for a few different, uh, transmissions out there. And then just general questions. I know people ask me all the time. I'm sure I'll throw sure. them your way and get some info out there. Not sure. Tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, CRT transmissions, how, how you started, where you guys are located, if there's certain like models you specialize in or, or, um, you know, things that, uh, you know, people should know about the transmissions they get from you guys.
0: Sure. Th- th- thanks for having me, Pat. Um, CRT actually stands for Cope Racing Transmissions, um, and we are located in Lowell, Indiana, which is Northwest Indiana, about a about a forty-five minute south of Chicago. Um, I'm a second-generation transmission builder. My father had a shop. He started in seventy-one, and so is is. As, I, as long as I can remember going to my dad's shop as a little kid, and, of course, when you get older, and I got my license, and, you know, then I was really getting into into it. So I got my start through my dad, and um, he had a shop called Transmatic Transmissions on the east side of Chicago, and it was just a general um, transmission shop. He didn't get into too much performance. Um but once I got out of high school, that's all I did. So I spent probably, I don't know, about 12 years in a Dodge dealership doing all Dodge transmissions. And CRT is probably about 99% all Dodge. So that would be 727s, 904s, of course, the forty sevens and forty eights for diesel, and then there's forty-fours and forty sixes for gas. So and basically they almost take the same exact valve body with just slight little changes. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been doing it a long time. Um I think this is my twenty twenty-eighth year in business now. So
1: congratulations, that that's awesome.
0: Yeah. With yeah. the
1: uh, with the performance side, I'm curious. So, with what made you focus on Dodge? Was it that was your favorite brand, like Mopar, Dodge, Dodge trucks, or what? What drew you to it?
0: Well, my dad was like a Dodge guy, and um, he had you know Power Wagons, and you know old men's had Furies, and you know the big Newports <laughs> and stuff like that. But you know what? When you're a kid and you got a 440 Newport. And those things were fast. So I always liked the Roadrunners, um, you know, it, it, the, that Mopar Hemis and six packs. And, and that's how I got into being a Mopar guy. And then, of course, when Chrysler uh, got with Cummings, you automatically become a diesel guy. Yeah. You know, and when I was at Thomas Dodge, we, we I was trained by Chrysler to do the at that time the forty eights weren't out, there were just forty sevens and um which is the same as the V ten almost, the transmission behind the V ten. So I had some good training from them and yeah, I've been a Mopar guy my whole life.
1: How did the how did you see the uh the need? with the Dodge trucks and with, you know, the Cummins engine and, and everything, the need in the aftermarket to be able to hold power. And how has that evolved? Because my, I was way too young. I mean, I kind of remember when the second gens were out, you know, I would see them, they look different. I remember yeah. the magazine ads and stuff, but I was nowhere near having the ability to have one. Um, yeah. But how they were upgraded then versus like in 2023, the things that customers ask you guys for, how has that evolved over the years?
0: Um, it was a big involvement. Or, um, it really took off. And I'll tell you exactly how the 48 valve body come to play. Um, our 48 valve body in 47 and 46, it's basically the same, is very unique to every other valve body out on the market because it's in reverse pattern and on the shift pattern, it's first gear you pull the second you pull the third and then you pull the fourth so i don't have any electronics no computers whatsoever controlling the overdrive gear so it, it's the only one that on the market that uh that we're the only one that have that feature and most everybody you know i've been to a, a couple races and whatnot in the diesel world most everybody's got forward chip patterns and then they hit the button to get their overdrive Well, when you use a solenoid to activate overdrive, there's a little bit of a delay, and you can't get the full volume of fluid that you need as if it just comes off the manual valve like our valve body does. So this is how it evolved. I've been building valve bodies for 727s and 904s for, geez, a long time, and I made a trans break um, probably about uh, 11, 12 years ago. And they have what's called clean neutral. I don't know if you ever heard of that terminology, Pat? No. Clean neutral is a shift pattern where it's park, neutral, one, two, three and another neutral. So most drag cars, gas motors have three speeds. And then if they're aluminum rod motor, they would go shift down the track, one, two, three, and then our valve body was designed to shift one more time and it would go into neutral. And then so the engine RPM would go from seven grand down to idle so you're not stretching the rods. So I was showing someone my valve body here and uh, and uh, one of the Hemi guys who's got a late model Hemi and a diesel tow truck said, why don't you take that neutral away and put in a fourth gear and put that into um, 47 or 48. And I thought, God, that would be a great idea, you know? And so I tried it on my plow truck, my old five plow truck. I put a trance brake in it in a reverse manual valve body and it, <laughs> it was, it worked really good. So that's how that evolved.
1: I'm really curious yeah. about something you mentioned in the beginning. And I think some of our listeners that are just, we're kind of, we know enough to be dangerous, but we don't know that much. As we think of overdrive being incorrect. Definitely correct me, because I don't even know if I'm right, but isn't overdrive something that's commanded with an output speed or input output speed or something electronic is telling a solenoid, hey, okay, it's time to go to overdrive in that 4748.
0: In stock form, absolutely. A computer controls that through a series of pressure switches through the governor. And the output speed sensor that tells the computer that the vehicle is moving so far it commands the lockup and it commands the overdrive. The valve bodies that I designed for the 47 and 8 and also for the E4ODs coming up make that transmission stand alone with no computer whatsoever needed for anything. Wow. So the driver has total command of Shifting into overdrive because it's on the manual valve. If you look at our shifters, it says P, uh, Park, Neutral, One, Two, Three, Four for being overdrive. So this allows the guy, um, you know, if you was to take a 12 valve or something and put it in like a rat rod truck, 1950s truck, you don't need a computer. So yeah. that's what really makes the valve bodies nice.
1: That's where my mind started to go with a lot of the conversations or listeners that have messaged me in over the years where they have those projects, like whether it's a rat rod or it's an old yeah. um, C10 or an old you know, Ford truck or something. And they want that 12 valve and they need a transmission, but they don't want a whole lot of electronic complexities with it. And yeah. then the the other part that really got me thinking too is you would mentioned with a the solenoid, there's a delay in the fluid pressure, and I think once you start upping the power, so making you know good torque numbers, mm-hmm. you want to have that fluid pressure there, so you're not burning up overdrives or any clutch
0: pack yeah. in general. It, the, the, when they're electronically applied through a button on the shifter, on the most floor patterns, there's there's no issues of burning up any overdrive. Those actually, like I know John Meldoon makes a great floor manual valve body, and um it's only a, a slight pause, um, a little bit of a delay, where is the manual valve, it goes in right away. That doesn't hurt the transmission, so to say, because um, it is just, it's better to have oil going through um, like a huge orifice compared to a small restrictive solenoid orifice. So it is beneficial to have it um, off the manual valve. Um
1: Now for someone out there that has a 5.9, whether it's a 12 valve or a common rail, and they get to this point where they're trying to decide, do I want to go with a manual valve body? What are some of the benefits that I have? Um, Could I potentially, you know, depending of course on the power level, but could I drive it on the street? Um, Is it, what should they consider when when they're deciding with their build, whether to go that route or some of the other ones that are out there? What are the benefits to it? What is, does it provide them as a driver or just an enthusiast owning the truck?
0: You got to make a few ponies for it to be worth it. Um, If if you just got a tune and an exhaust and maybe some injectors where it's not crazy, the automatic shift, there's definitely uh, um, a place for that in the diesel world. But um, if you want to do some competition, if it'd be pulling or racing, you know, a lot of these Trucks, now I see it, no prep races, these four wheel drive trucks and they're, they're killing it, yeah (laughs) you know, so it, it would, it would depend on the truck. It would depend on the driver. there's some guys out there, they want to put it in D and leave it alone. You know, um, I remember the one time I took my 05 Ram to um, UCC and people looked at the valve body like, oh, wow, that's really nice, you know, but what about this and this? And I had my truck there and I just throw them the keys and said, take it for a drive and tell me what you think. And some people thought it was great. Some people are like, no, I got to have my backup camera. I got to have an <laughs> automatic shift. So there's, there's, it depends on the person, yeah. you know? Um, but as far as having total control of the shifts, you know, computers are are, are, fin- are finicky and they, they need to be tuned, you know? Um, and so sometimes they'll come in at a certain RPM, sometimes they won't. With a manual shifter and a manual valve, there is no screwing around. It's the driver's responsibility to pull the shifter, to grab a gear at the desired RPM they want. Now, there are a lot of guys out there like Maryland Diesel um, that used our valve body with air shifters. So they would use the mechanical and hydraulic advantages of having a full manual valve body in reverse pattern. But because there's so much going on in a truck, there's so much they have to do. Um, and they're so fast. They just want two hands in the wheel, lick go of the trans brake button, and let the transmission shift by itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can definitely identify with that. My, uh, my brother is one of the guys will probably have him give you a call that wants to manually shift his 1500 horsepower five, nine. And he wants to be in control of it the entire time. Whereas me, I don't have anything 1500 horsepower, but so I'm just kind of thinking I would probably be one of those guys that just goes into drive and I just go, but there's a place for it. And that's what a lot of our listeners will ask is, you know, they buy these older trucks for a reason because they want the ability that the aftermarket provides with power and, all the things they yeah. can do, but they also want that ability to control it. Um, and so that, I think that definitely gives them an avenue to do it. Um, with th- like the the transmission itself. So I you know, picture this valid body, somebody you know, is the right candidate for this. This is what they want. How else would you frame the transmission around it. Cause that's where I find a lot of the questions go from there with listeners is, well, I know I need a billet input shaft. It's, I've been reading about it for years, but right. when do yeah. I get into the intermediate? How do I do a billet two-piece output? Um, what kind of clutch packs, sh- you know, should I use? What about band material, billet band strap, billet servos, all those sorts of things. What's your approach with the, the transmission side that would go along with this manual valve body setup?
0: Yeah. Here again, this is really going to be based on the weight of the truck and the power of the truck. Your anchors and levers and billet servos and accumulators and your billet input shaft is minimal, I would think, even on a stock truck. You know, um, there's definitely so much room for improvement on 47s and 48s. Even if you just put a slight little tune in it and a little bit of taller tire and it's your daily driver, those are some great, great upgrades. A deep pan, billet filter extension, that's definitely something you want to do. Now you become more of a serious guy where it's still streetable, but you want to take it to the drags. You know, uh, I always used to say, um, don't replace an intermediate shaft until you break one, but it's just a matter of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, these guys are, are popping shafts. So I'm like, look it, you need all three shafts, yeah. you know? And um, as far as clutch materials is concerned, um, you can probably get a few different answers from a few different trans builders. I know a lot of people in diesel world, as of I have been using um, the Ray best is GPZs that seem like they've been doing really good. It's a really aggressive clutch for motors that make torque. You know, motors that make horsepower like gas motors. I usually tend to something like a, a red Alto or red automatic clutch. Okay. So, yeah. There's one thing I forgot to tell you too, Pat. The um, with a reverse manual or a regular floor manual, whatever that it is. Uh, every time I've ever had someone drive one of my trucks, and I got three trucks, and they all have that same PPP shifter and reverse pattern shift in the fourth. There's a huge fun factor. <laughs> <laughs> it. You know, I've only had reverse manual valve bodies in my race cars, and so now I got one in my tow vehicle and it's like it's like you're in a race car you're pounding gears it's chirping tires and you know, there is a huge huge fun factor to having a reverse manual with the shifter. And shifting it in overdrive and applying a lockup in any gear that you want. So you you can't forget about that. I mean, that's the whole point of even being a gearhead. Yeah. Is having fun with your truck.
1: I think sometimes it can almost be overlooked a little bit, but it's really at the heart of why we do anything with it is, you know, we want a little bit more power, a little bit more torque. And we all know how the process goes. Then it turns into a turbo. Then we break something. Then we need a transmission. And then we <laughs> think, well, that's something that'll hold eight, 900 horsepower. might as well throw it at it. And yeah. it's having fun you know, while you do it. And I think that's what's so fun about talking about parts. And I think what drew me to transmissions the most is we think of power, we think of fun. It typically goes to the engine first. And we see a compound turbo setup or a big single, a shiny valve cover, valve covers if it's Power Stroke or Duramax, whatever it might be.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's loud. We have a dyno sheet. But there is a whole other side of it when you have a transmission that holds the power shifts positive it's almost like you have fun twice and uh, it's hard to explain because sometimes when i talk transmissions with my friends or people i know they're like i don't really care it's just as long as it holds and i'm like no you're missing a <laughs> whole other side of this it like, gets a different ball game when it actually is responsive
0: yeah you you can't forget about i mean you know being a grease monkey working on cars and trucks is, is a great outlet. It, it, there's so many skills that one learns when you're working on your truck, other than it keeps you out of the bars, it keeps you out of trouble and you're, you're occupied. You'll also, you, there's, I've made more friends at the racetrack than, than anywhere. You, you get to meet great people and the work is hard, the work is long, you gotta have the dedication. But at the end, when you're you're chirping second in an eight thousand pound diesel and four tires in the back just went whoop, it really <laughs> make the that you can't lose track of the fun. You know, you, you gotta have fun in this sport. And uh and, and it's really um it's a good thing to uh to interact with other people that are are doing what you love to do.
1: You had mentioned the E4OD and the 4100 and you know we kind of went over the 4748 option. And I know that's going to be something a lot of people are going to pay attention to cuz there's so many power strokes on the road and there's so many people that are doing things yeah. to them. What do you got for those guys?
0: It's going to be actually it's going to take the exact same shifters my 48 except it's going to have linkage for a Ford, the shift pattern will be park, neutral, and then you would hit the trans brake button for reverse, and then one, two, three, four. So it's it's going to shift just like it. it Actually, if you look at the power flow of an E4OD in a 48, they're so close because the E4OD is based off the Ford C6 transmission. The 48 was based off the Chrysler 727 transmission. Other than having a band for low reverse and a clutch for low reverse, a 4 a C4, I'm sorry, a C6 and a 727 transmission are almost identical. They work exactly the same. They have a front band, two front clutches, a Simpson gear set, a low reverse sprag. The Chrysler has a band, the Ford has a clutch pack. So when the 727 evolved into a 48RE and the C6 evolved into an E4 OD, um, the transmissions, even in the overdrive, work almost the same. Okay. Except in the Ford, it's overdriven in the front of the transmission. And a Dodge, it's overdriven in the back. So I'll tell you how this came to be, Pat. I have a friend who's got a, a, a I believe It's got a 429 boss motor in it and he had a C4 behind it and um, he was just going through them left and right and he's like, well, you got a 46 RE in your truck. Why can't you build one for mine? Well, we could not find an adapter, put a Chrysler transmission behind a Ford motor. It just doesn't exist. So I looked at the power flows of the E4OD and other than the Coast Clutch, they're almost identical. So I spent years developing that valve body for the 48s. And this one for the E4OD, it's only been like three months. <laughs> and I'm probably about three or four weeks away from actually driving this thing. Wow. So it, um, it, it's going to be, you know, as, as you know, the E4OD is computer controlled. Everything, the mainline pressure is computer controlled. The shift solenoids are computer controlled everything is, that is going to be completely and totally eliminated. So my valve body is going to be a one piece deal with a trans brake or without a trans brake that bolts right up to it. So wiring has to be changed. You unplug your control module. It's not needed for the transmission no more. And the great thing about the E4ODs is they have a really great boost circuit. And a boost circuit brings the pressures up in reverse when you need them and under load when you need them. So I'm going to um, take that cell pack that they have. And by flipping a switch, you'll be able to have 150 PSI for just driving around on the street or in the pits. And then flip the toggle switch down, it'll automatically go to 200 to 210. Now those numbers have to be tweaked. But with the boost circuit, because I already did it on the rack just by unplugging it and, and activating the boost circuit. Um, it's going to be great. So if, if you don't want it thumping, thumping really hard on the street or even going down the return road, you just flip the switch off. And then when you're ready to race, bring in the high pressure. So I'm going to advise that everybody put a pressure gauge in their truck just so they can see it working. So they don't accidentally make a pass at only 150 psi when you want to be at 220 or higher depending where that ends up to being. Gotcha. So um, and don't forget there's I mean there there's a ton of lightnings out there uh, that take the same trance. and there's there's the Ford guy here again that wants to put a diesel in a rat rod but oh, I don't want to use a computer-controlled transmission. Well, now you can, and have the the comforts of overdrive, and lock-up torque converter, which when both activated is about a thousand RPM drop between the two of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, and that's and that's what they want when they do. <clears throat> what I found is when they do projects like that, they just don't want to look at them. They also want to drive them. They want to enjoy them, like we yeah. talked about, and have fun yeah. with and. There's something to be said for overdriving lockup when you're cruising on the highway and, you know certain speeds, lower those RPMs. I, I tell
0: you what, Pat, there is nothing more satisfying than driving to your local track, making a couple passes, and driving it home. Yeah. I mean, and this is coming from a guy who trailered race cars to the track his whole life. <laughs> so
1: that, that was always. I didn't race very much. I, I did a lot of test and tune stuff, and just would have fun. And the part that I loved the most was I would drive it there and I would drive it home and I would do that every Wednesday night. And it wasn't the fastest truck out there or vehicle out there, but it was just fun to be able to use it and then drive it home.
0: Well, here again, you know, you're having fun with what you built and that's the whole thing that you cannot, you know, all the late hours and all the hard work and the sweat, blood and gears. You can't forget to go out there and have some fun with your car.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, Well, there's a lot of guys, too, that they're diesel enthusiasts or they're owners who use them for a specific purpose. And I always like to ask the question whenever I talk about transmissions is a lot of times we'll start off with the high performance stuff because that's what gets our attention.
0: mm -hmm.
1: But a lot of guys are looking for something that, you know, these trucks are 15 to 20 years old, maybe older, and they might have extra 100 horsepower or something, 150, depending on the truck. And they start to have issues and they go, I don't want to have issues again. What should I, what should I upgrade? And I think you went through this with the Dodge, the 4748s, uh, you know, a bit with what they need. But when we look mm-hmm. at the Fords or, I guess, it, you know, you, even with both of them, what are some upgrades you think are worthwhile that people should do when they're building a daily driver towing transmission for their, you know, their diesel truck?
0: Some of the best things you can do, uh, the two most important is probably other than general maintenance intervals. So, like, let's say you accidentally got it hot towing your boat to the lake one time. You do that one too many times, you're gonna you're gonna get that fluid to discolor and not have the lubrication properties. So you should keep that in mind as a driver to be like, you know what, I had a I had I got hot that one time and then I got it stuck in the snow or whatever you know, change the transmission fluid and and, and much more uh, intervals than what is recommended by the, the uh, manufacturer. But the best things you can do um, to just about any uh, transmission is get an oil pan that has more capacity and then get a cooler. Um, I love the Rayleigh coolers. They they work so good. A lot of people put them in the bed of their trucks. You know, the, the added cooler uh, above and beyond what the factory puts in the car or puts in the truck. I'm sorry. Um, th- if anything, that'll, that'll, that'll protect your investment. And you know, these trucks ain't cheap. And you know, transmissions ain't cheap nowadays either. Th- that's the best thing you can do is cooler and a deep pan to, to, um, to make it handle that little extra something for your daily driver.
1: I know this is kind of a loaded question, but it's one people ask all the time. And that is how hot is too hot when it comes to transmission fluid?
0: (laughs) I think most people at 230 degrees, most car companies will have the light come on and it'll either throw it in a lip in or take it out of the overdrive. Um, It's just like your engine. You know, you can push your engine to 220, but I like at 200. So I say the same thing for the transmission. If you're on a, let's say you're on a highway or a long road, a country road, when you're just driving, even with a uh, a, a, a trailer or whatever you got on the back, in overdrive, it, it's real important to make sure that the vehicle is not kicking in and out of lockup or kicking out of overdrive. That in and out creates heat, heat kills transmissions. Um, so, the number that I like to have... Is I like to keep it under 200. I really do. It's always better to have it run a little bit on the cool side than it is to run a little bit on the hot side. So, And it's heat that kills transmissions more than anything.
1: Is the heat when it kills them, is that by it not having the lubricity that it needs and then you start to get clutch slippage and then you start to get material in the fluid and then everything just goes downhill from there?
0: Yeah, I would say... I would say 75% of all the heat from every transmission out there, no matter what the manufacturer is, comes from the converter. And from a dead stop to, let's say you take a stop and you get up to speed at 65 miles an hour, that will generate more heat in one mile than you would be driving from California to New York at 65, 70 miles an hour. So it's it's the converter that, um, and the fluids nowadays do a really good job. But there's a lot of transmissions that have plastic washers in them now. Wow. So I mean, we know how fast plastic will melt. So you you really I mean I would I would that 200 mark um, I would really want to keep that at 200 and under. And it certainly wouldn't hurt to get a gauge. You know, an informed driver or operator of the vehicle is the one who knows that he's you know he can watch but again so like so if he goes to 225 or whatever more than once and yeah, maybe we should change the fluid filter and adjust the bands
1: i'm thinking with uh with temperature like when i got into diesel trucks none of them would show you well i should say i started with ram trucks cummins trucks they didn't have a transmission temp gauge that i could look oh, at yeah. so we would have two options it was electronic monitor which i think reads that off the transducer right the the temperature, but that could be completely off. So it was always, I need a mechanical gauge on there to be able to see, um, you know, what's going on. What's your opinion on that? And I'm thinking back to those kind of older trucks, the ones that didn't show it. um, The electronic monitor versus you know, a gauge where you're, you know, tapping it into the pan or it's, you know, going on a cooler line or something like that. What do you think of the best option?
0: Me, myself, I'm old school. I like something mechanical. Um, of course, auto Meter's got to be the biggest gauge company out there. And I think with the sending unit and the gauge and everything, you could probably get one in there for 175 bucks. It's really great insurance. You can get something small. If you don't want to look at it all the time, as long as a driver can see it, but I prefer the mechanical gauges because it's still something about electronic stuff. (laughs) So, I mean, I got a 2020 Ram and I love it. It's, it's got all the Comfort, keep you know, creatures of of uh, backup cameras and all that other stuff, but with the more technology, I think there's more room for things to go bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, that was that was a question I was thinking of asking you. Once you know, we got into the podcast a little bit. Is you've been around transmissions for a long time. You've been in the business for a long time. You built a successful company with them. You're innovating these products for you know these four speeds that we chatted about. And I was curious, what is your opinion on these newer ones? I know the 68 has been out a while, but you got the ASIN 6-speed, you got the 10-speed Ford, you got the 10-speed Allison. As an enthusiast, as someone that's been around this for a long time, as a truck owner, a truck enthusiast, what do you think about the trend or what's happening where they keep going to more gears, it's more electronics, they're much more complex. What do you think as a transmission builder?
0: I tell you what, the technology is unbelievable. I've been into a couple eight speeds. Of course, I did the 68, a few 68s. Um, And I don't know if you know this or not, Pat, but the 68 is based off a minivan transmission called the 604. It's almost identical except the parts are this big. They're bigger. (laughs) But um, as far as what they come out in the, like I got a 2020 Ram that's got an eight speed. And I think first gear ratio is like 4.30 or something. I mean, it just ship, 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 ships, 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 ships. The double overdrive is nice. The only thing I don't like, they don't have lockup that's either on or off. They, they have a pulse, so it actually slips a little bit. But the, the, these new engineers, um, compared to having three-speed automatic transmissions from the mid-50s, all the way up to the late eighties and then just getting four speeds until the, to the 2005 or seven, then they went to six. I mean, now there's, you know, these 10 speeds and I've seen them. I have a friend that has a transmission shop down the road. He does nothing but late model. And it is really the engineering part of it. I think is, is really cool. You know, um, I don't know how they're going to handle for, uh, you know, a couple thousand horsepower behind a diesel, you know, uh, that is yet to be seen. (laughs) It's,
1: it's, it is fascinating with the technology. And I try to, like I mentioned in the beginning, my favorite part of diesel performance besides the power is transmission stuff. And I can't explain it. I just, I, I love it. But I think of the technology and the things that it has and it's really great. But when anyone asks me like the favorite transmission I've ever had between i had a 68, I've had a 48, I've had an Allison six-speed. The one I loved the most was a 48RE. Um, yeah, it didn't have the cruising RPM speed as the Allison, um, but it just took the power. It was fun. It was simple. I knew it was proven. It had been out for so long. There were so many upgrades right. for it. And for that particular application, I loved it. That is my favorite one.
0: I would have to agree with you on that. Um, me being a diehard Chrysler Dodge guy, that six, what was the last year? 06, 07 for a 68, I think. For a, a lot th- of that. The 48s? What, what, yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. sorry, I meant 48.
1: Yes, yeah, like early, I think they, yeah, they had early 07, 5'9. So, yeah, yeah, like early 07.
0: Do you know the, um, um, a lot of that technology and that transmission came from 1962?
1: That's one the of the first, things, yeah.
0: The very first aluminum torque flight that Chrysler came out with was was done in 1962. So it, you can take a pump gear out of a push button, and the front seal, and the pan uh, gasket, and the linkage seal, and a, a bunch of other parts, the clutches, and some of that. I mean, that transmission's been for you know in a three speed version and the four-speed version from 62 to 07 that is a great span for a transmission yeah i mean that 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 says something about the legacy of those people who designed that transmission with the simpson gear set in 63 well our 62 i mean it came out in 62 but they were probably designing it in 58 or nine you know so no. that, that that transmission is my favorite too.
1: Well, it's one of the things too, like when the sixty-eight RFE came out, and I'd say even today a little bit, people say, Well, why won't it hold the power? Why doesn't it do this? Why doesn't it do that? And as far as trying to hold fifteen hundred, two thousand foot pounds, twenty five hundred or more, we haven't had a lot of time on it. You know, yeah, it's been about fifteen years, but you think back to yeah. what you just mentioned, there's a fifty, sixty year run of innovation that could happen i'm sure the early muscle car guys were breaking stuff and figuring oh, yeah. it out and upgrading it and then diesel comes along in the you know late 80s early 90s guys start messing with stuff you get the p-pop now they're cranking up the power even more on them there's a lot of time that companies have had people like yourself to see failures fixes you know build them better
0: yeah that that transmission in its basic form has, has, has had a great run I I was sad to see it go. I really was. I I thought I had a picture somewhere on my computer of the last torque flight, because they call it a torque flight, that rolled off the assembly line. Um, But now they're even like Hellcats and and Ram 1500s, they're calling their eight speeds and their 10 speeds. They brought the name back, but there's nothing torque flight about it. (laughs) It's, (laughs) it's, It's just a name, you know, it's just a name.
1: I'm sure we could we could probably chat for hours. There's a bunch of different transmission questions I'm, I'm I'm thinking of, but I'm sure there's something I didn't ask you about the valve bodies or something I didn't ask you about the transmissions or somebody's got a, you know a build where I always find they have very specific questions or they say, hey, do I need to do this or need to do that? If somebody's got questions for you or, or for your team there, what's the best way to reach out to you guys? ask questions, email in, um, get you know get some help on a build. Uh, Maybe they're in the market right now. They're like, Hey, I've been wanting a manual valve body. I got a couple of questions for John. How can they reach out to you guys?
0: I think the best way for people, if they just want to learn or just kind of see what I got, maybe they're a Dodge guy and they don't want to look at Ford stuff, but they just want to take a peek at it or vice versa. Um, My YouTube channel, I have been working really hard on it the last couple of years and um, it's the best way to see what we're doing because I do a lot of behind the scenes. Like I'll take the camera out. We have a, a Val body dyno machine where we test valve bodies to be, make sure it works in the dyno before we put it in the car. And I'll just sit there and ramble for a half hour with the camera rolling and talk about stuff. A matter of fact, my video from two weeks ago, I show people how to rebuild their own planetaries on a torque flight which a lot of people probably don't know how to do. So if, if, you, if you got uh, nice set to the tools, you know your way around a toolbox, you just go watch that video. There's a, there's a lot of how-to, but there's a lot of me like sometimes going racing or, or, or other stuff like that. Um, the YouTube channel is a great place. You just go to YouTube and put in Cope Racing Trans. Um, you can visit our online store at CopeRacingTrans.com or you can just give us a call at the shop. Um, I usually don't answer with the phone till the end of the day, but I think the best tool is is YouTube without a doubt. It really is. It's it's a great way. Matter of fact, I can remember picking up the phone like ten years ago, and they're like, "Hey, John, I I I saw you at Mopar Nationals. I want to get this valve body." Now, when people call, they're like, "Hey, I just watched your video. Yeah. I want to get that Bolton Sprague." so youtube has really really come a long way in the last five years and anything you anything we do like i already got um pictures of and some video of the e4od for our 100 valve body and i put progress as i'm going along of it first is this first big chunk of aluminum and then milling the holes in it and like the separator plates will be here next week so um it's a great way to see the progress of everything that's going along in this valve body and it's been going along pretty good
1: i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna head on over and subscribe because i love to watch those things and that's how i consume content now whereas you know when i was younger it was buying a magazine or going on a forum or something whereas really now absolutely. i want to listen or i want to watch and then i start to absorb information and you can really connect with people really well like you get invested in watching the progress of a project yeah. that you're on and it sticks in our heads and then we think okay i'm in need of a transmission hour. I need this valve body and it, it 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 it's a great way to reach people so I'll definitely make sure I. I head on over Excellent. and subscribe and I appreciate yeah. reaching out yeah, to really me good. and saying hey this is a really cool thing because it is and i've been wanting to cover it for a while and. I uh, always say I love talking transmission, so I could keep going for hours and <laughs> hours and hours. But I'm sure you got Yeah. If plans you ever and- have
0: any ideas in your head that you want to concentrate on one section of something, and if I know what's what's going on with it, I'm um, I'll be more than happy to come back. You know. Very cool. It was. Uh, um, and like I said, even if you subscribe and you're like, hey, what about this? A lot of people will give me ideas for the next video on their comments. Yep. And I reply to all the comments. So the guy's like, okay, well you did that for that. What about this? And I'm like, you know what, that's going to be a great video. And I usually take about a week or two when I get it up there.
1: That's exactly what we do. I'm always looking at the comments yeah. and somebody will say, Hey, get some IDI stuff or Hey, talk about six, seven Cummins or five, nine, or talk about this LBZ. Yeah. And yeah, you know, the audience is, is great for directing what they, what they want to see. And I'm, I'm a truck enthusiast at heart. So yeah, I kind of just think of questions as we're chatting. That's why I started to ask some of those, but my mind's going a million miles an hour. So I'm sure I'll definitely be reaching out <laughs> to you again and saying, hey, John, you want to talk about this with me? Because I got a whole bunch of questions for you. <laughs>
0: yeah, I really appreciate it. You know, and I, I, and I like getting, you know, and back in the day before YouTube and smartphones and all this other social media, you had to go to the track. Yeah. You know you had to take your vehicle and your whatever it is that you're racing and go out there and meet the racers, but now it's so easy to reach thousands of people by just making a good video or coming on you know podcasts like this that have a big audience so um yeah technology stuff they come a long way
1: that was one for, of the things uh,
0: getting hold of people
1: that was one of the things I really. It really hit me in 2020 when everything was going on and a lot of the races weren't going on and you couldn't gather or do anything. We're doing podcasts and there are still thousands of people watching and listening. And it was a way to be able to reach across the country at a time that was really hard to be able to gather or just go to things. And it just kind of clicked in my head. Like you can reach anybody anytime, anywhere. There's no weather delays. There's no flight delays. There's no any of these yeah. delays. And that's like what you mentioned with YouTube. You can reach out to somebody at any time, give them, you know, information, education, entertainment, all at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, I'll definitely, as soon as we're done here, I'll go over, subscribe. I definitely appreciate your time and your knowledge sure. and chatting with us. And I look forward to doing it again sometime.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was, it's, it was a great, uh, a great opportunity for us.
1: Don't forget diesel fans, make sure and head on over to kershaw.kaiusa.com use code 23diesel20 for 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. Um, If you're in the market for a knife for hunting, fishing, EDC, something around the job site, around the house, they've definitely got you covered with a bunch of different choices, really to meet any budget. Um, One of their newest releases this year are the Duralock models, which they have a, a really smooth opening mechanism Keeps your fingers away from the blade when you open and close it. They have a bunch of cool designs for um, different handle, you know, designs, uh, grip textures. The blades are made out of D2 steel. So it's a good quality blade that, uh, that you can use for really any tasks that you might have. So if you're in the market, definitely make sure, head on over, use that discount code and save 20% off site-wide. Also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowe and a 23 Diesel, John, Caleb, um, J. Cole, all of our other Patreon supporters. All of you who subscribe on YouTube podcast apps, follow us on any of our social media pages. We appreciate all your support and look forward to bringing you guys
0: more of the content you want to hear in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.